are tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Johnson. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hey guys, welcome into another episode of the Penny Dreadful After Show right here on AfterBuzzTV.com, YouTube, and iTunes. I'm Bobby DeMiro. Across the table from me, Marissa Serafini, Sarah Stretton, Roxy Stryer. Ladies, hello. Hello. I am so happy to talk about Above the Vaulted Sky. I know the three of you are, and I have a feeling we're going to have a good discussion because I think we have some differing viewpoints. But before we jump into it today, real quick, uh, if you haven't already, hit subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. We're getting great YouTube comments. We always have from you guys. We love discussing them with you. And if you haven't on iTunes, if you're listening to the podcast version, you can comment there, you can rate us, you can review us. We'd love to hear what you think on iTunes. So if you haven't done that yet, please go do that. We want to hear from you. We want to hear all your crazy opinions on Penny Dreadful, just like our crazy opinions. Especially because Marissa then gives you a shout on the show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's true. <I> will. <laughs> and Marissa is on the live stream on YouTube tonight right now. So if you're watching the live stream this evening, if you want to comment along with us, do it. Oh, we've already got a lot of them in there, which is good. Uh, do that. We'll read out the best, the funniest, any Anything that compliments Roxy on the show. Thank you, thank you. What about Sarah? Well, Sarah's she's secure enough in herself. We need to do this That's for Roxy. True. Sarah's gorgeous already. Yeah. We, we got it. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah, yeah. You know, then you've got the slums over here, so I really need the help. <laughs> And last yeah, thing, <laughs> and last thing before we jump in, if you haven't had enough chances to rate us and stuff on iTunes, we have a new survey up, podcastone.com. We are running a survey there, and we want to know what you think about us and this show. It's going to take about three minutes of your time, so not too long. You can do that at podcastone.com. We want to hear what you think, what you like about the show, what you want to improve, you know, whatever. Hopefully you have guys have some nice things to say about us, but if you don't, you know, hey, we can take it. We're tough. So go to podcastone.com. Dot com and obviously keep the tweets coming, keep the comments coming on YouTube. We can't wait to hear from you in really any way. There's a lot of ways to get at us. <laughs> All right, ladies, above the vaulted sky, sex. Yes, lots of sex. Tons of sex. Awesome Before we sex. get into specific storylines, those last couple minutes, surprised, excited, happy. I was ecstatic after the last few minutes. Am I alone? I thought it was great. I felt like it built... To a climax, pun intended, but it was great to top off what literally all the storylines that it was building up to. I am on board for the emotional stakes of this episode and that I was very emotionally invested in it. At the end of today, I'm very angry with a lot of our characters and their choices and what they're rec- like what they're seeing and not seeing. Um, so I I. I'm kind of leaving this episode feeling angry. Angry at, like, them succumbing to temptation? Or what's the... Honestly, I could go through a checklist and go through almost every character, like, why I'm kind of angry with them. I think some of them are oblivious. I think that some of them, their relationships aren't being built equally. Um... I could, like, literally, when we get to their names, I could tell you why. Oh, we're going to totally do a Sarah Stratton anger check, every character. <laughs> because that's interesting. I want to know, because I uh-huh. came away, I know that obviously a lot of this sex, all of this sex, is going to have consequences, most of it dire. Mm-hmm. But I was still excited mm-hmm. to see it all. And not just from the physical standpoint, because the scenes were beautifully done, and it was like, hey, so much stuff is developing here, we're going to have fun the next few weeks. So the anger is interesting to me. I like it. I thought that the majority of this episode was incredible. Um, I'm feeling a little disgusted with myself, as I did last week, as I'm starting to learn about as about about myself as a human being and what it is that I want to happen on this TV show. Um, and as the characters move along, the things that I'm realizing I'm latching onto and that I love, I know are somewhere in my soul. I know they're wrong. So, you know, I I think that they do the most beautiful job, like from the shot of Victor in the stairway to the ending sequences. They have just done such an incredible job that it is beautiful to watch, but I also am very invested in multiple storylines right now. 
I, I, I do love what Penny Dreadful does for all the characters because each one of them is so vastly different. But the fact that Penny Dreadful can literally place this character with this person like every single week, mit, meh, you know, mix it up and mismatch them, but still have interesting, intriguing dialogue between all the characters, no matter if they just met or if they've known each other for a long time. That each character is so intriguing that it, it's fantastic and whatever story new stories will arise from like new meetings that's great and fun to watch and penny i think we should get started with a character who didn't have sex so maybe there's no sarah stratton anger check today or maybe there is ethan are you mad at him i'm mad at ethan (laughs) we're gonna ask this question like 10 times today (laughs) he is one of the few that um i'm not too mad at interesting okay good. i thought he was being a little bit of a douchebag in one of his scenes, but that was understandable, in, and I wasn't angry about it. In which it. one? Oh, as he talked to Inspector, Inspector Russ. Oh, I was on his side. I mean, I was on his side. I think he could have, sometimes I think charm can go a little further than being obvious that you're not going to give them any information, but it, it didn't develop into anger. I, I think it was more so Ethan just trying to get him off of his trail. I, I, like, I, you have to be distant and but whatnot it just had completely to get thrown the opposite effect. Well, because I think Ethan knew that no matter what he said, Rusk was already going to come after him. Like Rusk had said, we, we've accounted for every person except for Ethan Chandler and Brona Croft. Your name's not really Ethan Chandler. He was putting the pieces together, and Ethan, or whatever your name really is, was like, okay, I, I'm done. i got to do something. Well, that was my Same question. Day, the, they, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> they mentioned Ethan Chandler is his stage name. What is his real name? I, I, we're not sure yet. I would assume something along those lines. But yeah. I think at, at this point we really need to cut Ethan some slack based on the fact that he is running from many different parties right now. I, I don't even know how many different parties. We know that we see tonight... Yes, he is talking to Rusk. Then we see somebody physically chasing him. Then we see the man, the survivor, Rupert, uh, outside of his house, so or outside of Malcolm's house. There's, And we know his father is still after him. Who knows if one of those is his henchmen somehow or, or whatnot. He's on the run, and he is still sticking around. And if he wanted to, he could have booked it by now. So he's, he's down for the cause, and I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt because he is sticking around to help out Vanessa and, and the rest of the clan. It's not just the humans. The witches are also after him for a completely different reason. Do you think he's going to end up doing the clan a disservice, though, because he's bringing so many outside forces in that are chasing him? Potentially. I don't even think he really is aware of what exactly is going on in his interior right now and him being a wolf and all of that. So I I don't think he is causing them harm on purpose. I don't think he thinks sticking around is a liability. We know it might be. And we can't discount the fact that the story he told of the village in southern Arizona territory, that was hunting. Those are That's wolves hunting. You know, the story he's telling about, oh, we wiped him out and blah, blah, blah. He's 20 feet away. He's listening in. He's not making a noise. He's in the shadows. They they move in silence. That's predatorial. It's not war. With his pack. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But they also mention the line, packs all die together. So if these guys, maybe this might be an early prediction, but if these guys, the humans who are chasing Ethan, they all die all at the same time. I just saw a great comment come across the live stream uh, from Pyronucleus. The dramatic irony with Rusk is hilarious. He's in so deep over his head and he doesn't even know it. He has a love for order, yet he is circling the drain of an entire underworld of complete chaos. I'm going to take credit for that. Forget this guy. He didn't say it. Right. I just thought that in my brain. That is so entirely correct about Rusk, who has no idea what he's getting into. He has no clue what's going on with Ethan. He may think he knows about whatever or think that Ethan has an alias. He has no concept of what it is here. And I just wonder if Rusk ends up, maybe like Ferdinand Lyle, wedging himself into something that he shouldn't be in, and then it affects the equilibrium of that situation negatively for Vanessa or Sir Malcolm or somebody else. Yeah, but that's what I kept trying to say last week in our last after show, that Rusk is so, yes, again with the dramatic irony, but by the time he reveals to Ethan that he knows everything, they're going to kill him off anyway, so what's the point? He's slowing the story down. 
At the same time, though, guys, Rusk is guys. Rusk is the only one who's putting any of these pieces together. He, we have a bunch of other inspectors, all who went in there had, and saw at the end. None of them had an idea that there was a survivor. None of them could figure anything out. Rusk is the smartest of the group, and he's still having a hard time putting the pieces. I wouldn't together. say smartest, most informed. I would say he. I think smartest. He's trying to put the pieces together. No matter what he puts together, he's going to be underprepared. But what we also need to remember is that this show does place puzzle pieces to not only connect Ethan to his home, but we also have other, what I'm going to call, I guess, civilians that have entered this season being the wax makers and their whole line with dealing with crime. So now we're having multiple just common citizens outside of our group getting interested in these things. So I think also they could connect dots and be part of kind of the same world, the same team, a different view. I agree with that. And last week I spoke about the fact that I don't feel like the Putneys are getting this all from the papers the way they say they have. Maybe Mr. Putney and Rusk have some sort of a deal going on here and they try to help each other out. And Rusk is taking a kickback or something for giving information. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And certainly something that's feasible. Right. Right? That's interesting. Okay. that's an- Or that's like good. Rusk will feed Mr. Putney information about you know, each scene that only Putney knows and he's displaying it in his exhibits. Well, when you, and also when you look at supernatural shows, one of the biggest complaints sometimes is they get too overwhelmed with supernaturals. You're, I think you're that, telling us. Yeah, I think that Penny <laughs> How's Dreadful. How's gone? <laughs> I think Penny oh. Dreadful is trying to keep those human ties. That's something not to talk about Salem, but a lot of shows, and we talked about it on Salem, you need human characters. You need mortal characters to keep it within the realm of the natural world well enough. If it just goes witches and werewolves and Frankenstein and all this stuff, it gets too far out there, even for big sci-fi fans. I think people like Rusk rein it in enough to say, wait a second, we know all the crazy that's going on, or all the crazy that we know about so far, which Rusk does not. Rusk knows there's a murderer on the loose in his city. That's all he knows, and he's trying to solve the case from that perspective. I just always find it fascinating that I right now, I don't know if you guys are on the same page, but I right now think that Rusk is an enemy. He's, He's not on our team, so he's an enemy. However, like you just said, there is a murderer on the loose in his town, and he's trying to solve who it is. That doesn't make him a bad guy. So right now I'm trying to figure out who is he working with, what is he doing to take down our characters. Maybe he's just a cop doing his job or an inspector doing his job, whatever it is. That's all he is. Yeah, so we're going to just have to learn more about him. He could be crooked, but he could not. Or crooked in a totally mortal sense. You right. know, he has nothing to do with Madame Kali or whatever. And he could come in and screw things up for Ethan and eventually mess up the equilibrium enough with Ethan gone or whomever that it does affect Madame Kali or Vanessa or, you know, whomever else, Ferdinand Lyle. Um, the Ethan, the other Ethan altercation, I guess not altercation is the wrong word, the other Ethan interaction today of note is Vanessa. And him and Vanessa on that stairwell, in the middle of all those sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in the bedroom. And the bedroom sleeping, you know, not together, but in the same bedroom. First off, I'm glad they finally put somebody with Vanessa. The symbolism and the meaning of them two together aside, I'm glad they finally let Vanessa be with another person in a room. Because when she started praying tonight alone, and then the two night crawler, nightcomers were there... I'm like, why are we leaving her alone if we've just had this conference downstairs that mm-hmm. we have to protect the cliff and we got to put the steel door on and we got to load all the weapons? Hey, Vanessa, go upstairs. You're good. By like, yourself. at least they put her in Ethan's room, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. She put herself. Yeah, in just from a practical room. standpoint, at least it happened. Well, protection, but I, I found the conversation so much more interesting about God has a plan and then, you know, trying to. They're, we see them both praying, but they're so caught up in whatever's going on that they're they're questioning each other about their religion and their path and have they strayed so far from the path that they thought they were on? Will they ever find, you know, their path again? I loved this conversation. I thought that there was a couple of key things that I took away from it. One, how we she more or less says that she cannot commit suicide which is, I think, a religious belief that she holds to. And Mm -hmm. putting that factor in just for the audience to know that she doesn't feel capable of doing that. Her insistence on God's plan. Also, when Ethan throws at her that she's never killed anyone, I thought that that was a very interesting line that she didn't retort to because although we've never seen Vanessa kill anyone, we don't know for sure, but we also, she has, I think, 
the weight of although not physically killing anyone, people have died because of her or for her. And which of those is worse? Like, is that really a... Does, is he absol- she is absolved of guilt because Ethan feels guilty, but I think Vanessa feels just as guilty and just as responsible for putting these people in harm's way. That's an interesting point. I, I would like to hear more. I wish that Vanessa did respond to that. It's better that she didn't because it keeps the mystery alive, but I wonder if she has ever, we saw with this witch hunt and whatever, her back's been against the wall many times, and people have been holding her down or, or whatnot, and she's had to fight for herself. I wonder if she has. If she hasn't, like you said, definitely people have died on her watch. Because for whatever you want to call it, I do think that she holds a lot of guilt in her heart. I think that Ethan holds a, a similar amount. Uh, but I, I think that you, you can't deny that there is something different about pulling a trigger than there is for somebody dying because of you or for you. I, I think it is different. I think it's different as all except for the fact that to add to it is Vanessa is so religious. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she does have a very... Um, religious layer of guilt as well and like where that comes in what she can be absolved from or not um i there is yes there is a difference between pulling the trigger and being the one that people are pulling the trigger for or biting somebody's head off because more likely that's what happened that is that is true as well (laughs) but i think that she holds guilt more than maybe your average person on this show Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. What then, knowing, I I don't know if you'd call it something they have in common with the guilt and stuff, but maybe knowing that and knowing what we saw in that conversation in the bedroom to Mm -hmm. which Ethan then woke up and Vanessa was gone, what do we make of the second interaction with them, that relatively brief one at the very end when he comes up the stairs to see her? I think it shows that their relationship and their connection to each other is so much more deep and more meaningful than just a physical attraction and sex. Them having sex would have pissed me off. Yes. 100%. That's what I said. I was like, please don't do it. Yeah. A couple of things. Number one, not only is she gone, but she has left the Bible. By yeah. the bed. So I think that she is trying to spark something in or re-spark something in him. So that was why it was so strange to me that the next interaction we see of them is by the stairs. I almost don't feel as if that was Vanessa. When she was walking down the stairs, even her facial expressions, whatever it was, I was like, all right, these witches take many forms. Has one of them taken on the form of Vanessa? And what are they about to do to him? What are they trying to get from him? I didn't feel like that was her. Do I eventually perhaps want Ethan and Vanessa something more to happen there? They did pull the lover's card very early on. There have been sparks. It's an interesting relationship, to say the least. But right now, oh my gosh, is this not the time or the place? So And Vanessa knows that. What was happening there? I completely agree. I thought that she was either, like, possessed or sleepwalking. I was very confused why this was happening in the next interaction. I found myself trying to rationalize, like, oh, well, maybe she, like, felt the need for love because she had a conversation with John Claire about love and she wanted to... Like, I tried to rationalize it, right. but it just, like, did... And the way they looked at each other just didn't fit. It didn't feel real. And this is a couple that, or a pair that I I really like together. And I kind of root for in the back of my head. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this feels wrong time, wrong place. It, it just didn't make sense. Simultaneously cut mm-hmm. in between all the sex scenes. Okay, right. if, if that is a potential theory... Going back to when Vanessa was first praying and she saw, she thought she saw, or was it real or was it not? She saw the witches in front of her. Only two of them, correct? Yeah, just Mm -hmm. two at this moment. But there was that quick flash where, you know, lights, it goes black and she falls on the ground. Do you think she was possessed in some way at that point? And then she ran to Ethan because she was very much herself. But if that's the case... Going back to walking down the staircase, was that her? Was I'm, that her? Was that her being voodooed? Like, or was it literally not even her, and it was somebody transformed into her body? There's so many different things. I think that the only guarantee is this was not her in her right state of mind. There's no way. 
something is going on. Or, here. or we're looking at it the other way about transforming into her body. This wasn't about her at all, but about Ethan. Maybe, but it wasn't. He was reacting to yeah. her. Uh, she was initiating. So maybe there's something going on with both of them. But I felt way more strongly about what was going on with her. Her something was about her facial expression, and we know Eva Green to be the most incredible performer of all time. This mm-hmm. wasn't like oh, she had a minute where she there was a lapse in judgment on her face. There's no way. This is very deliberate. And, and the way she walked and how right. she, how they focused on her going down the stairs. It just, it it felt spooky. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy they didn't kiss there. Yes, <laughs> so happy. I'm conflicted because if she was just human, again, I see it as she feels more safer because she's protected and more confident in what's going on. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting because what she does next will inform us on what state she is in. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to say. Then you can't also discount the woman who, uh, Evelyn, who Madame Kelly was doing voodoo towards, doing voodoo upon today. Gladys. Gladys. Gl- that was, yeah, Gladys, who ended up killing herself. And you can't discount the hallucinations or whatever when Peter and Mina come out of the ground in her bedroom she pulls out the razor blade slashes her throat and then immediately looks and there's nothing there and so I know that the conversation with Vanessa about suicide not being an option was done for a purpose to put that there for a reason and then you see Gladys's scene for a purpose to put that there for a reason and understand what Vanessa's going to have to wrestle with now because there are moments where I'm sure she's going to get close uh, my question, sorry, no, sorry, go for stop, it. Um, is why um, Madame Kali actually had to voodoo his wife. It didn't seem to be that big of a problem. It's not like we're finding out that um, Sir Malcolm's not finding out and then proceeding to have sex with her. It didn't even seem to be. A, she had other strategies to get him into her bed. I don't know why this was another component besides showing us what we should fear for Vanessa and besides showing us a different path that Vanessa could go down. I think because she didn't just want him sexually. He said, I can never be with you in that kind of way. And yes, at the time, I think he was talking about both sexually and out in public. But now we're seeing sexually, he's willing to cheat on his wife. He has been. He's doing it. He's willing to cheat on her. But he wasn't going to end his marriage. And so I think that this was her saying, all right, I'm going to end your marriage. But for what? purpose because she wants to she doesn't want to be with him because she doesn't love him she wants to be with him so that she can get closer to him Mm -hmm. so that she can get him into the inner circle and and somehow use him and i think it's about paring down distractions right not that gladys and malcolm were ever interacting anyways but for her it's because she can right when he was with her at the party or whatever and she says you know he says i've never met somebody like you or whatever he says and she goes you have no idea it's like it's fun to her it seems like I, I think it's just that, like literally getting everyone that's close or who Sir Malcolm loves out of the way and a more reason to drive him closer to her. I just felt like he was already driven closer to her in this episode when he hadn't found out about what was going on with his wife. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't part of his motivation for anything he did today, in my opinion. The good news is we don't need her character. So it's okay that she's gone. If she had been a character that I thought would be a catalyst for X, Y, and Z, I would have been upset that they killed her off. But we don't need her. We haven't needed her for a while. And so I'm I'm all right with it. I get what you're saying, though. Was it 100% necessary? Absolutely not. Um, At the same time, I will say it just brought the show to a whole other level for me and reminded me this was horrifying, disgusting, on the level of stealing the babies, killing it, and taking their hearts. And I just need to constantly be reminded, we're not dealing with a bad woman. We are dealing with the devil's woman, like Mm -hmm. a whole nother level. So watching the what looked like the worst version of acupuncture anybody has ever gotten, it made me feel Mm -hmm. ill, really ill. And it affected me in that kind of way. So that, to me, made it worth it. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be visceral. But to to add to that, I think, I mean, you guys are saying that she really didn't have a point, or, well, not not exactly like that. Gladys, I think what the audience can take away from this first, um, this first, you know, trial of killing via the voodoo is that it shows the audience what 
is in store for what Gladys, I mean, not, sorry, not Gladys, Evelyn has for everyone else. What she wants to do to Vanessa. Like, literally the power of what it does to someone. To drive them to the point of insanity where they off themselves. Yes. Uh, she's capable of this. She's capable of any and everything at this point, I have to believe. Speaking of her capabilities and what she exercised today, this was another reason that I was rather upset, is that for Sir Malcolm to get pricked at some sort of cocktail environment and that not to send his guard up really bothered me. I'm completely with you on that. Broader than that. Just going to a cocktail environment the night of or the night after that whole protect this cliff, iron doors, loaded guns, locked and loaded scene. Hey, let's go party. It, it, they let their guard down so mm-hmm. quickly, and they already know what these people are capable of. Not not to Gladys's extent, but they have an idea, and it ain't good. When he is later on sleeping with her, and he and he gets pricked, it seems like he doesn't notice the prick. So that didn't bother me as much. This was like I feel that you just pricked me, but I don't think twice about it. How on earth are we going to let that slide? Obviously, there's another one of these in this episode that I will talk about later that I cannot believe they let slide. But that's the kind of thing. That's why I said the majority of this episode I love. Because things like that, I'm thinking, come on, that's a character flaw. And not in the way that characters are flawed. A hundred percent. Like, I find myself having to, like, literally search my brain as the, as the episode's going on, like, reasons this could happen. Like, could the ring be poisoned and this is why he's so overcome with lust? Like, but I just don't understand how the last conversation we had with him about Madame Kali was, like, be careful. And then he gets pricked and these puzzle pieces aren't being put together when you're supposed to be a person who's on high alert guarding the cliff and you're just not doing your job at all. There was no second guessing. It was Well, we've established that Sir Malcolm, when he gets on his, you know, woman push in the past, he seems kind of one-noted about it. He's had these problems with Gladys, and she's accused him of a lot, and we've heard stories. So maybe it's just a a, the exemplification of this dude wanted some, and he lost all reason for it. And it's, it's just that shallow with him, and he's a weak link in that regard. She exploited his weakness in that regard. Coming from her, are we under the assumption that she's pricking him because she needs his blood or because she's putting something into... Is she taking something out or putting something in? I thought in? she was taking something out, both. but then she didn't take right. anything. Yeah, I don't know. Well, she <laughs> or did, she just messing she did, with her. Like, the first prick, she did like kiss the wound? Didn't oh, she? I thought she kissed like Maybe. I took I it as she kissed, like, kissed the back of the hand. Maybe she did. I read into it as, like, is she kissed. She, she yeah. was definitely kissing him. So I was like, maybe she's taking, like, my, licking his blood. My thing I don't is. Know. There's something in the kiss. We've learned that. Right. Yeah. My, my thing is, every time we see Evelyn with the ring, it's meant to kill. We see it with the killing of the, the first witch in the first episode. We see it with the killing of the cows. Every time you see the ring, it's for killing. So I don't get why the pricking the first time and then pricking the second time. I I, I don't know. So I would we would have to assume that if it is meant to kill, which is all we've seen so far, she's either taking something or putting something in. She's either poisoning or she's taking something to voodoo him somehow. I don't know which one of those things it is. We find out from Zambene earlier tonight that the best thing you can do, the best way to get in your enemy's mind or get their powers is to eat their flesh. Is she somehow pricking them, taking their flesh, and consuming it? That's just one thing that I possibly could have thought of. Or is it the first time she pricked him might be, in a way, entrancing him? Poisoning, inserting something into him that like lowers his inhibitions for him to get with her, maybe just as as a means to control him. But right. I don't even think he needed his his inhibitions lowered in that regard. He was he was yeah, into he it. was all over. That. That's what's so weird about that. Where can I buy this ring? Just curious. <laughs> Etsy. That's, that sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's talk, still around this Vanessa thing, this show gets kind of complicated to talk about because everybody eventually connects to Vanessa. We have a little spider web up top. But the other scene that's interesting with her in regards to the rest of these characters is uh, John Clare. Mm-hmm. And she's now seen John Clare twice, you know, down in the dungeons, down in this this place it that they're volunteering. Like the sewer mm-hmm. or yeah, down in it's wherever, they, the wherever they are. 
Yeah, the suitcase, but I'm saying right. it seems like it's underground, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And she's seen him twice now, and now they're talking poetry and what he's named after and all that, and then they dance. Did any of you get a... Just a little bit of a feeling off that? No. Really? No. Really? I... Okay. I loved this scene. The scene was so beautifully paced and what they were talking about, how they connected on poetry. And I love the line that they said, poetry is for sad people and happy people love songs, and you know, along those lines. But uh, also, the poem is actually... It is by John Clare called I Am. Mm -hmm. And I just loved how... Um, how Caliban slash John and Claire can actually start building an actual friendship with someone. It's not about physical attraction. It's more of an acquaintance, actual friendship. I would argue, though, that that's the way that John Clare should probably fall in love. It's not about the physical attraction. He's so introspective and intelligent and you know, uh, creative and kind of brooding that he needs somebody on that level. And Vanessa's the only one who's been on that level with him. Lily obviously is not. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't know yet about Mm -hmm. Lavinia, right? The blind girl. Mm -hmm. We don't quite know. So him and Vanessa today talking in such a deep way again, I'm looking at it like this isn't going to work, but John Clare doesn't know what her deal is. He doesn't know what's going on. Um. So I have a couple things. One, to comment on what Marissa said, I thought it was a really beautiful scene. Um, on top of the dancing and the connection and the poem, I thought that music was used fantastically mm-hmm. in this episode in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, I always am drawn in by their introduction music, but I just felt like the score that accompanied this whole episode from start to finish, like, with it was, like, just so symphonic and beautiful. and um, mm-hmm. But... What was interesting about this scene is it did feel like a happy kind of scene, connection scene, and then how it ended, how the poem ended, about talking about um, peace with God, and that silent moment to me just speaks to death rather than peace. Um, And then whether or not they're going to have a spark, it's interesting to me to see how John Claire described his meeting or falling in love with starting as friends and then the touching of hands, when we kind of see that happening with two separate people yep. other than Brenna, we see it happening with Miss Ives and we see it happening with Lavinia. And it's it's just interesting to watch it all intertwine. I'm thinking about not as much his connections with women as I am with her connections with men at this moment. We have seen her with Dorian. We've seen her sparks with Ethan. We've even seen her have sparks with Victor. We've seen her have sparks with Peter. She is somebody who has a lot of sexual tension with a lot of different people. So I absolutely understand where you're coming from, that you saw something there. When she is in the room with any man, I kind of see something. She's just got that thing about her. Uh, but I did not feel like he was going to make some sort of move or that she was going to make a move. He, she even said to him at some point, imagine me as that woman for a minute and come dance with me or, or whatever it is she does say. Are they setting us up for something? I would I would find a hard time saying yes to that because he is involved with two other women right now and he is in a little bit of a love triangle and I, I think that we are going to lean towards Lavinia and not towards Brona but if somehow at left field he ended up pursuing Vanessa that would really catch me off guard. Yeah. I think I think it's just a guy who is so intelligent and well spoken. I'll say it again that he needs to have somebody on that level with him and maybe Lavinia is and we just don't know it yet. Brona certainly is not. She's got other issues right now. She's trying to figure out, you know, the customs of life right. <laughs> and going to restaurants and stuff. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I just think that I just think that Vanessa is Vanessa is on his level intellectually, and I didn't get sexual tension from this scene yeah. at all. But I got uh, two equals with each other. Yeah. Well, you know, physical physical attraction, whatever aside. What what I took away from this particular scene is showing that Caliban is becoming more human. He's having human. Le- humanistic traits and he's co- he even says the line you know he isn't himself he's feeling all these human emotions he's not when he's falling in love he doesn't know what to do with himself so he's becoming more human and less of a monster right all it would have taken in this scene for something really 
bad to happen is for her to have said a name or for him to have said a name. Because they are both talking about the exact same people, which is just reminding us, small world, small world, be careful. Uh, so as, as she's saying, I was out with friend today. If she had just said, I was out with my friend Victor today, bells would go off in his head but they're not saying that yet they're setting us up for something clearly that friendship is going to mean something uh i just think that they will be completely platonic in it yeah everyone in the chat role is also agreeing with us as well platonic if everyone's agreeing with us everyone's agreeing that they're (laughs) (laughs) that it's strictly platonic um, let's talk about that friend Vanessa met with today. First Roxy? off, first no, no, Roxy. Let's say it. First off, the fact that Vanessa didn't recognize Lily. Mm. Three uh, words or less. How do you feel about it? Uh, what the hell? <laughs> There's three words. Just the worst. <laughs> that was just the worst. I think I said last week if this was to happen. I'm sorry, that was more than three words, Sarah. <laughs> Almost turned off. Oh. Yeah. 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 Oh, it was so disheartening to see. I'm sorry. You know I love this show. WTF with this moment. Are you kidding me? She's brilliant. We're supposed to believe that she's the devil's wife, that she is the most brilliant person on earth, that we've been following her, that she has all these connections that she's made, and because this girl's hair is blonde, she doesn't recognize her? Are you serious? This drove me insane i had to i couldn't concentrate on the episode for at least five minutes until we got to the sex scenes at the end where i was like all right i'm checking back in for a minute what are you thinking pause that for just one second because now that the the live stream is a couple seconds behind real time and i want to watch you go up the train of anger <laughs> on the video i'm, I'm on the sarah's angry train here i'm on the angry train i'm looking, at, I'm looking at roxy just build and build and build and sarah's sitting here looking at me like totally Totally. I completely agree. <laughs> I do, too. It was just fun to watch you do this. Look at this happening yeah, right now. Awesome. This is wonderful. Oh. Um, no, I mean, how do you not recognize Brona? That is the first moment on this show that I think was, I hate to say this, but an insult to the audience. It, yes. it really is. It's. It, go ahead. Not only how do you not recognize Brona physically, but of all people to not recognize Brona, Her. it's Vanessa. Right, right. I'm sorry. She's supposed to sense things about people. She's personally clairvoyant. Vanessa? If it had been anybody else, I would have been like, all right, maybe because they're, they're a little ignorant to think, whatever. Unless it was Ethan. Ethan's the one. Yeah, no, person no, no, no. Like like, if no, he doesn't recognize totally. her. Totally. Not even that because turn off. we see in the very first episode of Penny Dove ever we see the, Vanessa reading Ethan she knows all these character traits about him and who he is as a person where's that Vanessa where's that Vanessa that could have read Brona immediately the Vanessa with cut wife that we just saw who can go up there and, and know how she got the scar on her back are you kidding me I, I get that she's the undead and she came back to life so maybe she has a clear slate I understand that Vanessa was not BFF with her and they didn't spend plethora of time with the whatever it is she met her she met her she knows who she is. Can can I throw in? I agree 100%. We're mad. But to throw in a little devil's advocate here, and I'd be interested to see what the people in the chat roll and the people on comments after this have to say. Could it be that Vanessa scoped her out from the second she saw her in Victor and played it cool because she wants to see what Victor's doing? Nope. If no, that is the case, so. then Eva Green is unaware of that storyline. And if she's unaware of that storyline and they have that written in, then that's unfair to the actress because that is not the performance we saw. We see her behind closed doors. Later on, she goes back. She looks at it. We see her face. She's smiling because she thinks they're in love. She's not sitting there thinking, oh, goodness, what what happened? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, It could be. They could add that in later if they do. That is very unfair, because that's not what I agree, but remember, as well as Vanessa reads people, maybe she's already read something about Caliban, John Clare, and she puts the two and two together with Brona Lily. It's a hard sell. They're going to have to, if they were going to try to sell me on that later, that's a hard sell. Yeah. I, oh, I can't, I can't believe they did this. I can't believe they did this. It's just frustrating. Yeah. We're just very mad. We Mad. talked about it last week. We said verbatim last week, Vanessa's going to meet Brona. She needs to recognize her. Yeah. And we all laughed yeah. it off and we we're like, ha, ha, ha. Of course she will. It's Vanessa. <laughs> like, seriously. 
We're I'm that. Mm-hmm. With a capital M. Is that, on the Sarah Stratton anger check trademark, is that the thing that made you the most mad over the sex this week? Over yeah. all the gratuitous sex? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. My For co- sure. I mean, we already touched on the why I was mad about the Madame Kali one. Yeah. Which the whole time I was like, really? Really right now? Like... Not only is this a bad decision, but mm. how did you end up here this quickly? Why? Like, yeah, and this, yeah. we're not even at Sarah being completely mad about the sex yet because the consequences haven't even happened. And when those consequences happen, Sarah's going to get real pissed. Remember <laughs> <laughs> uh, that time. No, just, just to quickly, I know we, sh- we should wrap up not knowing Brona's story, but do you think they purposely chose Vanessa not to recognize Brona only to have someone else say Ethan? Recognize Brona later on. If then, if now Ethan and Dorian both don't recognize Brona, then I'm going to think that there's a cloak over her or something. But if one of them does recognize her, it's going to discredit Vanessa as a character. So I don't know what's worse. I really don't know. If if one of them recognize her, then uh, they've like put back themselves into a corner. Right. They made a horrible decision. Horrible. I don't know if they like lost their. I don't know if they lost their show Bible and like forgot they met. Which there's mm-hmm. only been one other season of this, so I don't know how you do that. <laughs> right. But uh. what do you think should have happened if you guys were writing that scene out when Vanessa meets Brona? Meets Brona. What goes down? I I, I think if Vanessa did tr- did try to play it off and like actually knew throughout the whole conversation that that was Brona, there should have been an additional scene where her facing Victor be like. What is going on? Absolutely. I don't think she's the kind of person who would have gone to brunch and called Brona out at the table. Mm -hmm. I think if she'd seen, she would have kept her cool. And then when she walked out, we would have seen in her face, holy crap. And then she would have gone to Victor. Even if we didn't see her go to Victor in tonight's episode, and that was next week. But that face was not there, which is how I know she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. 100%. Interesting. The only way to... Oh, the only way to resolve it. They're so lucky they gave me some good stuff at the end of this episode that made me think, all right, okay, all right, I'm in. (laughs) I guess I'm the lucky one. Let's talk a little bit about some of that good stuff at the end of the episode. Uh, Let's start with Victor and Lily, Brona, whatever you want to refer to them as. Sarah, you dropping out from here on out? (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna name all the things I'm freaking angry about. Okay, let's start with you then. Victor Victor and Brona. Brona. Um, in my opinion, we've established a character in, in, in Lily that is the, like, the image of more or less learning, innocence, whatnot. She seems very fearful of the things she's discovering. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that in a thunderstorm, like, a kiss, I would have been like, oh, they kiss. But she, like, actively, like, as he pulls away from her, like, is like, come back, have sex with me. And I'm like, Really? Is this, there... I thought you were trying to, like, I understand that she could feel a spark or start to feel in love with Victor, but that she, like, more or less, like, ah, like, is there, and I'm wondering about this, her, like, with, bothers me. Because we've seen Proteus and Caliban and now Lily. Mm-hmm. I know that they're sort of rewired and they have to figure everything else out, but how much do instincts play a role here? And once she gets the feeling, she intuitively kind of knows what to do. I, I just think that it, it was pushing it too far for me. Like, as I wanted to see the growth of a person, I feel like we just jumped leaps and bounds over, like, someone who isn't used to the feeling of, like, touch and for her, mm-hmm. like, to want to kiss someone, I understand. For that, like, holding that safety, I understand. But this wasn't about safety. This was about lust. And that jumped so quickly for me. And it it made me, like, devalue it a lot. Um, I thought the building of, like, a friendship and respect, and he's her caregiver, is, like, one line to grow on and expand. And they just, like, jumped, like, five chapters for her for me. And it, it bothered me. Especially when you have a girl who's gone through confusion of, like, she's supposedly rejecting her ex-fiance that she doesn't remember in the same day. It was just, like, too much for me to believe that she would do. Then maybe we need to acknowledge the fact that Victor is just not a good person. Well, okay, a couple things. I want to step back before we get to there, because what I I think you're implying is the fact that Brona used to sleep with many men, and so she, that instinctually when she... No, no, not just just her history. I just mean human history. Like, there's some sort of instinct in there, a basic instinct about what to do, because she's not born from nothing. She was created from 
right. a human being. So my one issue with this, and then I'll talk about all the reasons why I loved it, but my one issue with this is she is not instinctively getting back manners. She's, she doesn't have the same mannerisms she used to have. The uh, Her memories are completely gone. She d- isn't getting the same feelings or relationship vibes. But then if she was getting the feeling of that sexualness, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to come back. I think that they, they missed something there somehow. When we saw Proteus and he went out to the docks and he starts to get that sense of his life, that to me makes sense. When you start to get your career comes back or your wife and those memories seep in. But this wasn't that to me. I didn't feel like she was remembering things. I felt like she was a newborn baby who jumped into sexuality. Who, who jumped into sexuality, absolutely. So that was the part that was like, mm, not sure. The part of me that absolutely loved this was the fact that, number one, I think their chemistry is undeniable. I think that the way that they look at each other and the fact that he didn't push her into being with him and this wasn't those times where he grabbed her because I was so worried that maybe we would get there. She initiated this. She wanted this. She picked him. And I wanted that for him. I wanted him to have somebody who picked him. I did. She that's doesn't how pick I, him. That's she how picked Ethan. No. And then she died and not Lily. Well, Lily, Lily picked him. I didn't say Brona picked him. I know, Lily I know. picked him. And honestly, I, I thought that it was really, really beautiful, but also completely inappropriate and disgusting. And I loved it. So it says more about me than it does the show for sure. <laughs> I'm not debating you there. Interesting. I see it from Victor's perspective. I mean, the whole Do you? the whole no, the whole situation is effed up. But we saw in the first episode of this season, Victor was physically touching Brona slash Lily. But this time, they're touching each other again. But it has a whole different meaning. This is someone's now reciprocating the same physical attraction towards him. This is consensual. This is something he's never experienced before. We said it. We said it millions of times. He is a virgin. He doesn't know what to do with himself because this is a whole new experience for him. He loves it. If you are looking at this as Lily, it absolutely is consensual. But if you are still looking at this as Brona, it is not. Because we don't know yet if this woman will get her memories back. And if somehow she does become Brona again, and she already slept with Victor, then it was not okay. But if she is a new person, and we are looking at her as a completely new person, as I have with Caliban, because that's the way that they've set it up for us, then I think that it's great. Yes, but what's also disturbing is that Lily is dead. She is a corpse, a walking corpse, and Victor is a necrophiliac. So, oh, I think we expected <laughs> so, oh, that. Out that of yeah, but like <laughs> that is messed up. That like just the story itself—that's just a whole level of. I don't know if you can completely call him that. She is a walking, talking person. Like, this is, he's not just, but she's dead. He didn't sleep with her while she was on the deathbed. He did touch her, and that was a little necrophiliac. But he also created her, whether or not it was for this express purpose. So he's sleeping with his art. And I'm not sure that that's a good thing. Right? I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Roxy. Um, Okay, one more, I believe only one more sex scene, I'm trying to think about it, is uh, Dorian and Angelique. Did we get them all? Madame Kelly and Sir Malcolm, or Evelyn and Sir Malcolm, Brona, Lily, and uh, Victor, and then Dorian Dorian and Angelique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, well, before we get to their sex scene. Just them in general. Yeah. There are. Alright. Wait a minute. Sarah's thoughts on it. They're at the party. They're, and she gets spit on really grotesquely. And my least favorite, I think worse than socking somebody in the face is spitting on them. That's something that really affects me. Uh, I felt really bad for Angelique at this, at this point. And I felt like what Dorian did was really respectful and staying by her and, and making sure that she knew that he wanted to be with her. 
as opposed to many people at this time in particular that I think would never have gone out in public or anything. So I, I wasn't looking at this like he wanted to be with what he considered or what she thought he considered a freak. That is not how I saw this. It's clearly how Angelique saw it, which made me a little confused on her character. That's how I felt about that part because then when she decides that she does want to dress like him and she wants to take her uh, birth form as a man, I was I didn't know whether the whole time she was dressing as a woman if it was because she identified that way or if the whole time she's dressing as a woman is because she thought that she was really making people believe she was a woman and then they wouldn't think that he was with a man. That's the part that kind of got me confused. Does that make sense to everybody? Makes sense. I can tell you my interpretation of yeah. it. My interpretation is that Angelique has always felt that they were supposed to be a woman and dresses in that appearance. And then after she gets spit on, she it's almost like I almost like a moment of weakness that she's like, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to fight against all these. I'm going to conform to what they want me to conform to because then I don't have to fight anymore. I'm just going to be more miserable, but in a different way. But then why would she upset be with Dorian? Because she thinks that Dorian was interested in her because she was a freak. She and was an other. She thought that the mm. other people weren't interested in her because she was a freak, but Dorian was interested in her. Which may be worse because she was just like a, a conquest or okay. like a you know a thing for him for her for Dorian. And when Dorian kisses her hand and does all that kind of stuff and then proves himself again at his back at his place when she's wearing men's clothing and he says, I'm interested in you, the person, not what you look like or whatever he says. Who you are, not what you wear. Right. And here's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like this has developed into a one-sided relationship. I feel like she is constantly going through these struggles and yes, he is being a kind of strong front for her to lean on. But we all know that Dorian has his own demons, and he in no way opens up to Angelique. Mm-hmm. Ever. At least not that we've seen least, so yeah, far. We, haven't, we seen haven't seen it. And that bothers me. Do you feel like as I'm if... I'm hearing Angelique's story, and I care... I cared... Cared about Dorian's storyline, which we've seen him kind of... I mean, yes, mate, we've seen him we thought he had an infatuation with Vanessa, whether that was real or not. We saw that he did go through kind of fetishes of different people, especially like when he slept with Rona because she had consumption. And now I'm like, if you want me to believe that he really does love her or is very interested in her, why is he not opening up to her? All right, well, let me ask you. Did you feel as if he opened up to Vanessa, Ethan, or Brona? Those are the three people I believe we've seen him with. Or do you feel as if he had feelings for legitimate feelings for any of the three of them? Um, Vanessa, I felt like they were growing. I also felt that he slowly but surely in all their conversations always was hinting that something was different. I felt like he did hint a very slight bit that something was different about him when he was like, oh, you don't think... I have something, something to Angelique this episode, but I just felt it more prominent in Vanessa. Like, I felt if they had been spending as much time together as we are seeing Angelique, that was growing. Mm -hmm. It was a mutual of, like, we both have issues and trying to get into them versus with Angelique. I hear so much about Angelique's past, and I'm not saying that's not interesting and that that struggle isn't multi-layered, but she got brought in because of the character of Dorian. He is the one who's been in the first season, and what else have I learned about Dorian? Well, I think that's the point of Dorian, is that his character is supposed to be mysterious, because us, even the audience, still don't know it. Well, I mean, we know if you go with the canon, his portrait and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but that's still something to be introduced to the audience. Mm -hmm. So I think the point of Dorian is, he's still a mystery. We're still trying to figure him out, because he purposely has the secret, and he won't let anybody in. And, and as opposed to sorry, as opposed to the the you know the guys in our inner circle that they're slowly opening up themselves to each other because they they have each other to protect themselves. They're mm-hmm. they're becoming a family and letting each other in, where Dorian still doesn't have that. And let's be honest about Dorian's character, at least in this kind of part of season two, he's in a holding pattern. 
right? From a logistical standpoint on the show, I think he's just in a holding pattern and they're trying to figure out how to weave him back into the main storyline. And so we need to check in with him. You know, there's a reason we didn't see him for the first 40 minutes of the show. Right. I'm just, I'm interested in Dorian's character and his backstory. I've been interested in Angelique and her character and backstory. I'm not that invested in their relationship, and uh, but I want to keep both characters around, and I don't really know how to do that at this point if it's not via this relationship. So I feel like my back's against the wall because if I want both of the characters, then I need them to be together, but I think that Dorian is going to end up really hurting Angelique because I think Dorian's had feelings for a lot of different people and will continue to have feelings for mm-hmm. a lot of different people. I did like how Dorian did show that right now their relationship is all about acceptance. Especially if you remember that time, that time period, transgender, being homosexual, bisexual, whatever during that time, it was so much greater than it is in today's society. And so you remember that fact. And then if, if something one or two attributes of you is different, then you're automatically an outcast. And I think that's where Dorian's character is like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. He he's the more he I don't know he's and the more accepting. It's I not just black that. and white. And when you get outcasted in a society like that, the people who do accept you are doing so. Arguably, some of them are doing so because of that freak show aspect. What Angelique was worried about, right? Mm-hmm. You like me because I'm this other, because I'm whatever. You don't like me the person. You like the idea of me this situation Mm -hmm. and that's what dorian has to overcome with her to say no your situation doesn't matter you know i'm not using the right word he's using but that doesn't matter i want you as the individual regardless of what you dress what you look like what you identify we'll just see how long that lasts and that's my worry because it hasn't lasted before the only person that really it lasted with was vanessa and she ended up going crazy after they slept together and so it it fell apart soon after but vanessa had her own problems too absolutely i'm just saying if if we care about these characters legitimately we know that this could be messy uh we could a lot of these relationships could be messy i think that's why we're a little hesitant with many of them Every single one of them. Doesn't right. mean I didn't like the sex. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, last thing we want to do, we're kind of running out of time. We're actually probably a little over time. But I do want to get to it. Predictions real fast. We always got to hear them. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. I'm just going to use the chat log for uh, for my prediction. No, I'm just kidding. Roxy, do you have anything good for us? Uh, yeah, we see... And next week that there there was a shot focusing on the blood of Malcolm, something definitely is happening there. They're either taking it, like I said, with the flesh, um, there's going to be a Malcolm voodoo doll or, or whatever. And with all these voodoo dolls going around, one of these players is not going to be playing for our team anymore. They're, they're going to be voodooed out. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't mean like a Ferdinand Lyle. No. You mean like a... If we're getting hair from one person and flesh from another and going to keep creating these voodoo dolls the way that I think we are, they're going to all be controlled by uh, by um, Madame Kali. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I can't even trust the people I trust. Interesting. Um, prediction, I'm so excited to see Ethan chain himself in a room yeah, to find yeah. out what he is um, outside of what we got in these little fast-forwards. Future prediction... Hecate's rise to power. Um, they've definitely been pointing us in that direction. So either rise to power, confrontation, something's going down in the daughter, Madame household. Mm. Yes. Um, we also see with the um, the objects, with the translations and whatnot, that there was a lupus day is constantly being repeated. I'm thinking that Ethan or I mean, he is a lupus day, but the whole character was maybe a character back then when all that was going down the first time. And maybe he was part of the trial, the the whole plan, and now he's going against it. Or he was part of this whole scheme from the beginning. Interesting. I'm going to make a very outlandish prediction, and it's definitely not coming true, but... I'm so excited. (laughs) Gladys's uh, demise today with Voodoo was quite obviously 
a precursor to what's going to happen to Vanessa, and it's going to be extended way further than Gladys is. She's not going to die in an episode. We, I think that'd be really cheating us. But I think <laughs> Vanessa's voodoo situation is going to be terrible. And I think she's constantly going to wrestle with this suicide idea that she talked about with Ethan. And I think ultimately she will succumb that way. Mm. I don't wow. think Vanessa's going to kill herself. I think you're talking seasons down the line. I told you it was outlandish. <laughs> it's not going to happen in the next two episodes. Yeah. But I think we're going to see, I think Vanessa's in for a terrible ride. And well, I they think it, all are. And I think it might actually get a little bit repetitive for us because this voodoo's going to affect her so terribly and she's not you know, going to know how to deal with it. It's not going to last that long. Interesting. Why not? Because Sarah said so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because the plans are going to get thwarted. Seasons like to have different villains. We can't have the same villain forever. I'm That's just, true. I'm That's just true. saying. I, I also think we can't necessarily have the same Vanessa forever. By the way, Dorian's throwing a party next week, so at least he'll be in the same room with some of these people, and we won't have to wait until minute forty. There it's you going go. To be beautiful. Well, <laughs> and, why wasn't I invited? And because Dorian knows Brona, someone's going to recognize her. I don't know if that's good or bad. Don't, oh. even, don't even bring they that up. They have to recognize her. Don't even you bring guys, that up. You guys, what are we going to do if they don't? <laughs> I might be happier because then at least there's like a cloaking spell on her or something. <laughs> I don't know what I want anymore. I don't know anything anymore. I, I'm sorry. We should have ended it earlier. <laughs> All right. Let's on, end on a happy note. On that note. No, that's the perfect way to end. Roxy, you got the highest marks in the chat log when you went hot. So, uh, on that note... Roxy, where can they tweet you about your feelings about Brona? Guys, make me feel a little better and tweet me at Roxy Stryer. And also tweet Sarah Stratton at Roxy Stryer. Please, and thank you. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. And I'm on Twitter at Bobby DeMiro. Remember, podcastone.com. You guys can survey us there, review us there. You can also do so on iTunes if you haven't already. And, of course, the comments on YouTube. Thanks to everybody in the live stream for giving all their comments. Literally all episode. You can keep commenting on YouTube afterwards. We check those all the time, too, or on Twitter. That's it this week. I'm yeah, Penny we'll Dreadful. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Goodbye. Yeah. Executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 